I want to speak this morning on a topic I've never spoke about before. So I may be a little bit um, reading a lot here because I don't know a lot about this subject, and unfortunately I probably should. We have never really experienced Advent in the church that I grew up in. So Advent to me is not a topic that I'm very familiar with. But as I started to research it, I felt that, boy, this is some good stuff. And we need to talk about it and learn what Advent is. So today we're going to talk about Advent. And we're going to understand and we're going to, I'm, trying to, I'm going to try to teach you um, what Advent is, what it's all about. And maybe we should be recognizing what it is. I think we do in spirit. We just don't recognize it in necessarily the, uh, the traditions that some people recognize Advent in. So Advent is a very interesting season. Advent is a four-week time beginning on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, which is the Sunday nearest November 30th and ending on Christmas Eve. So Advent is a four-Sunday um, season. And the whole experience of Advent is a time of preparation, waiting, and anticipation of the coming Messiah in the form of baby Jesus. And it also is an extended time and an, into, an, into the expectation and anticipation of the second coming of Jesus as defined in the rapture of the church. So it's a dual process expectation of Christmas in the form of baby Jesus and then also it's an expectation of the second coming of Christ. I have a two-minute video that I want to show you, if we can throw that up right now, and that kind of talks a little bit about it as well, and then we'll come back and talk more about it in a minute. Advent. From the Latin word adventus, meaning coming or arrival. As winter approaches, Christians in the smallest of towns to the largest of cities throughout the world begin a period of waiting and preparation. During the darkest time of the year, lights decorate buildings and trees, all in anticipation of the joyful celebration that will soon commence. Christians recall the first advent, the annunciation of Mary by the angel Gabriel, the birth of Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. The Advent wreath represents the beginning of the church year. The circle of the wreath reminds us of God himself and his endless mercy, which has no beginning or end. Candles symbolize the light of God coming into the world through the birth of his Son. The four outer candles represent the four Sundays of Advent. The first candle is traditionally the candle of expectation or hope, as we long for the coming of our Savior. The remaining three candles of Advent may be organized around characters or themes, such as Bethlehem, shepherds and angels, or love, joy, and peace. The third candle, usually for the third Sunday of Advent, is traditionally pink or rose and symbolizes joy as Christmas draws near. Finally, the center candle is white and called the Christ candle. It reminds us that Jesus is at the center of the Advent season, bringing light to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. You know, I, uh, I know that we don't know a lot about this, for at least my family, because my sister Sue, 
um, they're going to a uh, free Methodist church over in Grayling and uh, she kind of showed her ignorance in the topic because she was over there doing Christmas decorations for the, the, the church over there and they had these purple and, and pink candles and she says well, why do you have purple and pink? Did they get these on sale? I mean what's the deal? I mean Christmas is is red and green. What? And so she was going to throw them away as to what I understand until somebody says, no, Sue, those are Advent candles. You're supposed to use those in the decorations. And so she had no idea. And I didn't either. So that's what we're going to talk about, about Advent today a little bit. The Advent, the word Advent, means coming or arrival. And the focus of the entire season is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ in his first Advent and the anticipation of the return of Christ the king in his second advent. Thus, advent is far more than simply marking a 2,000-year-old event in history. It's a celebrating of the truth about God and the revelation that God came in the form of a man, namely Jesus Christ, whereby, whereby all creation may be reconciled to God. And it's in this double focus of the past and the future that Advent also symbolizes the spiritual journey of individuals and the church, the body of Christ. See, as, as individuals, as we affirm and as the church affirms that Christ has come into the world already, he already came as a baby, he lived a perfect life, and he died a sacrificial death, and then he raised back unto life and he ascended back to heaven, he's been here once. And, and not only he, he's, has he been here, he's still here. Now, he, he ascended to heaven, but when he went to heaven, uh, they sent, he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. Now, and, and the Holy Spirit is God's agent, still active in the world today. We still have a presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in the world today. And that's all part of his first coming. The second aspect of Advent, however, is that we are now living with a sense of anticipation of Christ's second coming. And this time when he comes, he will never die again. This is a totally different aspect of Christ coming again. And, and that acknowledgement then provides for us a basis for our kingdom ethics, which is holy living. And it's arising in us in the sense that we are living in the in-between. We are between Christ's first coming and his second coming. The first time he came, he came as a little baby. He came as a small, weak, fragile little baby. The second time he comes, he's going to come back as a king. He's going to come back as a judge. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So it brings us to the realization that we have our own sense of responsibility as a people and as a church that belong to God in that we have a life of readying ourselves for his second coming. Yes, we're going to celebrate the Christmas season and we're going to celebrate the advent of a little baby. And that's fine and that's good and we need to do that. But more importantly than that, we need to ready ourselves for the coming of the king. And that's the second advent. So when Christ looks down at us in this in-between times, the question I have is, is he seeing a person and is he seeing a church that is busy readying themselves for the second coming? What is he seeing when he looks down and sees your life? 
What is he seeing when he looks down and sees the life of this church and my life? Are we loving? Are we, are we fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we living it out? Are we winning the lost souls for Jesus? Are we busy readying ourselves for the second coming? Or do we find ourselves busy readying ourselves for the Christmas of the first coming? And, and again, it's not bad. I'm not saying Christmas is bad. I'm not saying all the, 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 the living and the, the parties and all the celebration of Christmas is bad. It's not. It's all good. But are we really loving Jesus and serving him with all of our heart as we live in the in-between? Are we serving him with all of our heart, soul, body, and strength as it tells us in the Gospels? Mark, June, and, Mark, June, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All say it, all, all call it out that we're to serve Jesus with our heart, soul, and body. And are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? That's all part of living in the in-between. You see, the purpose of Advent is not just to give us a mere formality, as is unfortunately what happens to many real conservative-type churches and or people, that we look at it as a time uh, of, of recognizing Jesus, but we only do it in the in the form of a liturgy, or the form of a, uh, a a religion or a repetition. But we're here. This really, if we really look at Advent and what it is, it's really a time. It's a, a time of a call to action and a remembering that the time is short. That we're living uh, between the first coming and the second coming, and we have no idea how long we have left. We have no idea that how long it is before Christ. Uh, breaks the veil of the clouds one more time and he comes into our life never to be different life will never be the same life will never be this world it, it will be the crossroads uh, of, of our new era in this world and we are very much likely candidates to usher it in it very much could be in our lifetime and that's the sense of expectation that we need to have as we look at advent what are the colors of advent Historically, the primary sanctuary color of, of Advent is purple. And this is the color of penance and fasting, as well as the color of royalty to welcome the advent of the king. The purple of Advent is also the color of suffering used during Lent and Holy Week. And this points to an important connection between Jesus' birth and his death. The nativity, the incarnation, cannot be separated from the crucifixion. They really can't be. They came together. If Christ didn't have the cross in his future, he never would have come as a baby. He wouldn't have come into this world if it wouldn't have been for the cross. That was his purpose. That was his mission. That's why he came. So we can't separate Christmas from Easter because they're all together. They all, one leads to the other, and they're, and they're so tightly linked that we cannot separate the two of them. If we do, then we are no more that we're celebrating pagan holidays. We're just selling Santa, we're celebrating Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, both of them which don't make any sense. But yet, that's the celebration of the time. So we need to make sure that we understand that, that when Jesus came into the world, that, we're, that, that the Word made flesh and dwelling upon us and among us revealed to us Jesus, our Savior, and not just Jesus, a reason for a party. Big difference, isn't there? 
So in the four weeks of Advent, the third Sunday came to be a time of rejoicing that the fasting was almost over. The shift from purple of the purple of the season to a pink or rose-colored candle on the third Sunday Advent reflect that this, this lessening emphasis on penance and attention towards more torn, turned towards celebration. Or it was now it's time to have fun a little bit. Now it's lightening up the season just a little bit and have fun. The beginning of Advent is a time for the hanging of the green. And that's the decoration of the church with evergreen wreaths, boughs, and trees to help symbolize the new and the everlasting life brought through Jesus Christ. The Advent wreath is an increasingly popular symbol of the beginning of the church year in many churches as well as in many homes. And it's a circular evergreen wreath with five candles, four around the wreath and one in the center. The circle of the wreath reminds us of God himself, his eternity and his endless mercy which has no beginning or end. The green of the wreath speaks of the hope that we have in God, the hope of newness, of renewal, of eternal life. Candles symbolizes the light of God coming into the world through the birth of his son. The four outer candles represent the period of waiting during the four, four Sundays of Advent, which themselves symbolize the four centuries of waiting between the prophet Malachi and the birth of Christ. And what that means was that there was a 400-year period of time when God did not speak to the prophets. 400 years, God was quiet. And, he, and the people, the prophets of, of the day, didn't hear from God for, for that many years, 400 years. So finally, the prophet Malachi came, God began to speak. And then that's when the birth of Christ came. The colors of the candles vary with different traditions, but they're usually purple or blue, cor corresponding to the sanctuary colors of, of Advent uh, and the pink or rose candle. The light of the candles, though, is important because it becomes an important symbol of the season. The light reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world that comes into the darkness of our lives to bring newness, life, and hope. It also reminds us that we are called to be the light of the world as we reflect the light of God's grace to others. And it's important that we understand that, that as the light of the world, we're not the sun, we're more like the moon. The moon has no light of its own. When we see a full moon at night, the brightness of the moon that we see is a reflection of the sun. And then we see the moon as it reflects off the moon. And that's the light that we are of Christ. The light that we have in our own life is not about us. Because I don't have a light in my natural man. My natural man is dark with evil. But as I reflect the light of Jesus through my life, then that's the light that people see in me and they see in you. And that's why it's important that we need to be Christ-like. The more Christ-like we are, the more light shines through us. The more we can become light to the lost. It's not about my personality. It's not about your personality. It's not about your giftedness or my giftedness. It's about our light of Jesus that shines through us, we are reflecting the light of Christ. Does that make sense? And that's what the lights can, that's what the candles um, represent. As they're, can, as they're lit over the four-week period, it also symbolizes the darkness of fear and hopelessness receding and the shadows of sin falling away as more and more light is shed into the world. And the flame of each new candle reminds the worshipers that something is happening. Something new is going to come. More is yet to come. Bigger and better, it's coming. Finally, the light that has come into the world is plainly visible as the Christ candle 
the fifth candle in the center of the wreath is lit, the white candle. And then the worshipers rejoice over the fact that the hope and promise of long ago have been realized in Jesus. And that's what the light candle, that's what the Christ candle represents. The first candle is traditionally the candle of expectation or hope. And this draws our attention to the anticipation of the coming one, the anointed one, the Messiah. Now let's talk about the spirit of Advent a little bit. Advent is marked by a spirit of expectation, of anticipation, of preparation, of longing. There's a yearning for deliverance from the evils of the world, first expressed, we see, in the Old Testament exodus of the Israelites as they were slaves in Egypt, and they cried out from their bitter oppression. They were under severe persecution. They were under severe oppression by the Pharaoh of Egypt and, and building the Egyptian cities. And, and that was God's people. And they were under bondage there. And they cried out to God for hundreds of years or, or many, many years. They cried out, when will you deliver us? When will you deliver us? And finally the deliverer came in the, in the life of Moses. And then that is what the cry out then that we should have somewhat in our heart as well, that, that we're bound in our bondage of sin and, and we're held captive by the enemy. And so we have that same yearning, that same crying out, Lord, rescue me from this bondage of myself. Rescue me from my own inhibitions. Rescue me from my own natural desires. Rescue me from my own level of sin and depravity. And come into my life and set me free and deliver me. And that's the cry of, of, of Advent. That's the spirit of Advent that we will be released. Someday we'll be released from this world that's spinning out of control. And it's that hope, however faint at times, that, that God, even though he may not always seem near to us, but yet he brings the world to the anticipation of a king who will rule with truth, justice, and forever righteousness over his people and his creation. The spirit of Advent is wrapped up for us in Romans chapter 8, where the suffering of the whole creation is seeing it as worthwhile compared to the glory that will be set before us, even as the creation groans. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. You can open it in your Bible. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but the hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But here is the whole spirit of Advent right here. But, we, but if we hope for what we do not have... We wait for it patiently. We're waiting for God's release. Part of the expectation also anticipates a judgment on sin and a calling of the world to accountability before God. We long for God to come and to set the world right. Yet we're warned by the prophet Amos that the expectation of a coming judgment at the day of the Lord 
may not be all that we think it's going to be. And this is a very stern warning for all of us as we read the next few passages here. That the day of the Lord may not be the light that we might want because the penetrating light of God's judgment on sin will shine just as brightly on God's people. It'll shine just as brightly on me as it will the vilest sinner. Therefore, I better make sure my life is living holy and righteous before God. Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Amos is one of the minor prophets. And it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Now, we have to read on further in Amos to find out why is Amos talking like this. Why will the day of the Lord not be a light for us? But we're going to see that for, for people that have a shallow and deceived perversion of what it means to have a relationship with God, that the day of the Lord will be a bitter day. Amos chapter 5, let's continue reading, verse 21 through 24. He says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. See, the problem that we have is that we want the vindication of evil in the world. We all want that. But here's the problem. What happens if I'm part of the process? What happens if part of the evil is coming through me? And that's where we've talked about the last number of weeks about the strategies of Satan, how the deception of Satan can be so real that we may not see our level of sin. And so when Amos warns us, be careful of what you ask for, basically. You're calling out to God to bring the day of the Lord. You're calling out to God to bring the, the, the second advent. You're calling out to God. But be careful what you ask for if you're not really right, ready for it. That's a stern warning, isn't it? It makes me sit back in my, uh, and stand up a little bit and think, wow, Lord, where am I really at? Am I really ready? Am I really ready to see you come again? See, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a baby. He came as a gentle little baby, and we love to sing the songs. We love to sing Away in a Manger, and we love to think about it, and especially for those that have seen little babies lately, how, how beautiful they are, and their little fingers, and their little hands, how delicately they're created, and how perfect they are. And that's, that's the way we think of Jesus when he comes on Christmas. But understand, when he comes back the second time, when he comes back and the clouds split open one more time with a great trumpet, and the shout of the archangel. He is not coming back as a baby. He is coming back as a king. He's coming back as a king. He's coming back in judgment. He's coming back to call those that are ready. 
And if we're not ready, that will not be a glorious day for you that are not ready. For all of us in this church, there may be some in this church that think they are, but if you're not really ready for that second advent, it is not a day of light. It is a day of darkness. It is a day of judgment. See, this time when he's coming, he's coming to separate the sheep from the goats. You're going to see in a, in a week or two, next Sunday night, actually, you're going to see a Christmas program. And, and you're going to see at the end of the program, and I'm not giving it away, Jackie. I'm not giving it away. I've got to tell a little bit. At the end, you're going to see all the sheep and all the animals and all the things gather around the baby Jesus. Because that's what all the animals did. They all, see, they all came to worship the king, the baby. But when he comes back the second time, he's going to separate the animals. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Because it's not an all-inclusive thing. He's coming back for a bride that has washed their robes in the blood of Christ. He's coming back for those that take this seriously. He's coming back for those that really have an anticipation of who Jesus is, what he did, how he lived, how he died, what he did when he rose, the sacrifice of our sins, and then we apply those into our life, and then we live like it. And we live a holy and righteous life. That's who he's coming back for. He's coming back to separate the sheep from the goats. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 34, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Skip down to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse verse 46 says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the strong warning of what our true form of worship should be. The Advent season is intended to give us a, a, a time of careful examination and expectation of the glory of God through the birth of Jesus, his son, not only in a historical sense that he came as a baby, but in a future sense that he's coming as a king. And when we live that way, when we can see that perspective, then Advent means more than just, hey, a party's coming, Christmas is coming. It means, all right, it is coming, but you know what? I really have to prepare my life. And I really have to take this, this Christmas and this baby Jesus serious. Because of the dual themes of threat and promise, Advent is a time of preparation that is marked by prayer. And Advent's prayers are prayers of humble devotion and commitments, prayers of submission, prayers for deliverance, prayers from those walking in darkness who are waiting and anticipating a great light. As it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This will happen. And the, experience, the spirit of Advent is expressed also well in the, in the parable of the bridesmaids who are anxiously awaiting the bridegroom as it's given in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It says that at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Sir, sir, they said, open a door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I, do, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. See, there's a profound joy in the bridegroom's expected coming. This is a celebration time. This is a wedding feast. This is a time of celebration. And, and the ten virgins are, are, are waiting. And, and that day and that time, there was, a, there was a traveling of the bridegroom from one place to the other. And as he traveled, there would be those that would walk with him and, and light the way for the bridegroom to go into the feast, to go into the celebration. And these ten virgins, if you didn't have the lamps, if you didn't have the light, then you couldn't go. And that was the whole process of this, of this parable. And so what it's saying is that they were, they were there, they all went out, they began the good work, like many of us have, we've gotten Jesus in our life, we've, we've been forgiven of our sins, but are we living that way? Are we keeping our, our lamp lit? Are we keeping it trimmed? Are we making sure that we have oil in reserve? Are we doing the things that God wants us to do in this time of living in the in-between? That's the question of Advent. Are we living our life in the time of the in-between so that we are prepared when the bridegroom comes? I'm sure that these foolish virgins maybe were, when they, when they first set out there, they weren't thinking that it was going to be that long, or they were so excited that they were invited in the first place that they didn't take it serious, that they had to really prepare their lives. And so they, when, when it came time, they weren't ready. Because they, had, they, they weren't thinking down the path and they weren't thinking seriously. The wise uh, virgins, though, they took extra oil with them. They knew. They were prepared. Folks, I tell you right now, we, have no, we will have no excuses come judgment day. We will have no excuses when it comes time when Christ says, Why weren't you prepared? You were given every opportunity. The word was right there before you. It was very evident, very clear. I called you many times. Why didn't you prepare yourself? You're living in the in-between. Right now, living in this time of Advent is the most exciting time in the world to live because we're living in the in-between. And we don't have any idea when the bridegroom cometh. But I want to be ready 
And I want to make sure that my lamp is lit. And I want to make sure that I am not um, overly or underly prepared. I want to be right on line. I want to be in God's will and I want to be servicing my lamp. I want to be living my life in, in, in preparation for that. So as we get ready to close this morning, the Advent season, even though we haven't celebrated it necessarily in a real religious way here, if you would come, Jackie, please, even though we haven't really celebrated with the wreaths and the candles and, 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 and all the, the liturgy behind it, there's great meaning in Advent. And there's great meaning in this living in a sense of appreciation and a sense of anticipation. Living in appreciation for the fact that Jesus came in the first place at all. Living with that sense of appreciation that he came and he lived and he died for me and for you. And that he is going to be our savior. Living in a sense of anticipation of what he's going to do and what he's going to mean for us when he comes in glory. That's going to be a great day. We started the service off this morning by, by imagining what it was like. When the, angel, when the shepherds looked up and saw at first a single angel and then joined by a multitude of angels, there was one angel that, that came and brought the proclamation of a baby born in Jerusalem. And then suddenly a great host of angels appeared with them and they sang the song. What an amazing, what an amazing thing that was. Folks, we're at, we are going to see a similar thing in our lifetime, hopefully, maybe, very much likely, when the, clouds of, when the clouds unveil themselves one more time and there is Jesus on a horse. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see that? That's what Advent is. That's what our life expectation is. He's coming. He's coming. So I want to encourage us all this morning to take a few minutes and let's just examine our hearts and lives this morning. Let's just really let that expectation settle in. And whatever way you can, just close your eyes with me, if you will, and just think about it. Try to think it through. Try to think the process through. Think of what you might be doing that day, where you may be at, and all of a sudden, for the Christian, they're going to hear the trumpet. And it's going to be that quick, in a twinkling of an eye. In a twinkling of an eye, you will be raptured, and you will, be, you will, you will leave the bounds of earth. The gravity pull of earth will be gone, and you will be floating, and you will be rising upwards, and you will see Jesus in the clouds with all of the angels and all of the starry host and all of those that have already died will have come and rise be, risen before you and we will all be gathered together. It's going to be a glorious day for those that hear the trumpet. But we're living in the in-between. Do you really know? Are you really preparing your life? Are you really doing what you need to do? to be sure that you're going to be that day? This is the most important question anyone could ever ask you. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready? The best Christmas present you could ever receive is Jesus. 
the best Christmas present you could ever give to anyone else is Jesus. He is the reason. He is the purpose of Advent and this whole season that we're in. So if you'd stand with me, I just want to give an opportunity. I don't want to delay this. I don't want to prolong this. But I want to give everyone an opportunity here this morning to be sure that Jesus is in their life. So that you can celebrate this Christmas season maybe brand new for the first time. Or maybe this is going to be a refreshing time for you. But if you need Jesus in your life this morning, would you please be bold enough to come up and receive him? Would you please be bold enough to come up and receive him? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your mercies and your grace. Lord, we thank you that you left heaven in all of its grandeur and all of its splendor and all of the provision that you had up there and that you came and you became a perfect little baby and that you lived a perfect life for us and you died a sacrificial death. So, Lord, as we are in this Advent season, as we're living in the in-between, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be, pre- to be prepared, that our hearts would be prepared to see you, to meet you. Lord, nothing is more important than this right now. And so I ask in Jesus' name, if you need Jesus in your life for the first time or the 15th time, would you raise your hand? Would you just show that you need to have Jesus in your life? I see those hands. I see those hands. Yes, I see those hands, and that's a good thing. All, maybe all of our hands should be lifted up, because maybe this should be a time of total recommitment for all of us. But let's really understand what Advent is. Let's understand what Christmas is all about this year. And let's invite him in, and let's partake and live and, and join him. And let's live a holy, righteous life. Not a life of regulation, but a life of love and a life of a want to, to be as close to Jesus as we can be. Amen. Jackie, let's sing that song. And if you want to come up, for those that raised your hand and just want to come up and just make that commitment fresh today, I invite you to come forward. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father.
You know, I, I know that we're pretty much the same crowd here every Sunday. So you wonder, why, Mike, do you always ask for those to want to be saved? Why? I, and I ask that because I don't know your heart. I can't see into your heart. Just because you come to church Sundays, I don't know. So I ask because that's what the Holy Spirit places on my heart to ask because somebody might receive something new. Amen? Somebody. So don't get upset with me if I keep asking. Don't say, why do you keep pounding us, Mike? Why do you keep coming after us? I'm not coming after you. I just can't see your heart. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're done, that you're doing. We thank you for the miracles that you're taking, that's taking place in this church. Lord, we keep pressing in. We keep asking because, Lord, people are responding. And they will continue to respond as we ask and as you do your work, Holy Spirit. We thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And we give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you come?